Matthew chapter 8 as we're continuing working through the book of Matthew. And we had begun a new section of Matthew last week. And we had moved on from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we started looking at the healings that Matthew records that Jesus does. So just by review, we're going to go over a couple things to set the tone right so we can understand where we're coming from. Uh, in this book because uh, there's going to be a verse today that we look at that is hard to understand unless we under we see and remember what the purpose of Matthew and his writing is for okay uh, we know that the book of Matthew was written to present the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews as their Messiah all right the other gospel writers had different purposes Matthew's focus the, thing, the reason that Matthew wrote the book is he is presenting to a group of Jews the fact that their Jewish king is here to sit on a Jewish throne that is physically in Jerusalem, okay, and that has been promised down through the ages. Uh, so often, and we've made this comment, and I want to make sure we get it clear, though, as we begin, that the book of Matthew is not written to the church, as a matter of fact, none of the Gospels are written to the church. Now, they can be written to Christians, but the church didn't exist when these books were written, did they? Okay, and that's what we need to understand. Now, I've said this before. I know it's a joke. We've teased about it many times since then. Um, I can write a love letter to my wife. There could be wonderful things in that letter. Honey, I love you. You're the most beautiful person everywhere. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, that's how all my love letters go to her. Okay, I just say, dear Kim, yada, yada, I love you too, bye. Okay, but if per se, I drop that letter on the floor in the church and some other lady picks it up and starts reading it, oh, the pastor loves me, yada, yada, yada. Yada, 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 you know. It wasn't written to them. Now, can they learn how much a pastor loves his wife? Can they lo you know, learn how, how much he appreciates the things she does in our relationship and things like that? Absolutely, but it's not written directly to her. So there's certain parts of that letter that you cannot apply directly to their life. Okay? Um, that is where we are in this book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, to read some of these verses, we have to understand that Matthew is presenting jesus christ as the answer to all the old testament prophecies that their king would come to sit on a physical throne of david and that there are so many prophecies that jesus fulfills okay we looked last week that john says i wrote all these things that you may believe in the jesus christ as savior that was the purpose that john wrote he wrote it to the world that they may believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Matthew is not writing for that purpose. Matthew is writing for the purpose of convincing the Jews that he is your Messiah. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, we're going to see something today uh, that, that is key to understanding this. All right, so with that in mind, uh, the notes are somewhere. Oh, yada, 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 wife who runneth the sound. Uh, 
Ah, there we go. All right. Matthew, we're going to look today at the healing of the centurion servant. Okay, and again, by way of review, let's just go over a couple of things to, set, to get us right back in that mood. Number one, we talked about the fact that Matthew wrote this book for a reason. So, okay, Matthew wrote it to present Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. He continues to focus on those things that are relevant to the Jews regarding Jesus in the Old Testament prophecies. Okay, keep going. Here are the things we've already walked through. Number one. Matthew gives the genealogy of the king. Okay, why? Because he's trying to say to the Jews, hey, Jesus fits the royal line. Okay, Luke does a genealogy, but he's approaching it from the spiritual side through Mary. Matthew is doing it specifically through Joseph to say he is the one who fits the royal line. Okay, we talked about the royal reception of the king. Matthew is the only gospel that sees magi coming from the east to bring royal gifts to crown the king with. Okay, the other three gospels don't talk about that. Why is that important? Because Matthew, Matthew is trying to say even those in our world who have studied the, uh, the coming king for the Jews knew that Jesus fits the, uh, the bill, all right? Uh, we talked about the herald of the king where John the Baptist shows up and says, Repent! Okay, that the one is come, Messiah. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We talked about the proving of the king where Jesus goes out and is tempted by the devil. Okay, and again, proving his lordship. We took talk in chapter 5 through 7. Next slide. Okay, the tenets of the king, his constitution, and we just got done with that. That whole Sermon on the Mount, people love that, but Jesus is basically saying, if you are going to be a member of my kingdom, this is what your life should look like. Okay, don't just say, oh, I haven't committed adultery. Jesus says, if you lust in your heart after another woman or someone else, that is breaking this commandment you're not living uh, if you thou shalt not kill well if you hate somebody or wish them harm in your heart it's just as bad jesus has said listen the pharisees they think they're walking that fine line of, of re meeting all the old testament rules but they weren't doing it from the heart they were just forcing themselves to conform to a bunch of rules and you and i know very well because i've said it a hundred times here god is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do you will naturally do what he wants you to do if you are being who he wants you to be and that's the whole sermon on the mount jesus is saying listen it's not about doing the letter of the law it's about being one of my people when you do that you'll naturally just do okay husband and wife in-laws about to have their uh, anniversary tomorrow okay uh, too many times we talk about the fact that in a marriage relationship it just become become business right you do your part i do my part we all just function the way we're supposed to because that's these are the things that we must do to stay married and that's not what god's design of marriage was is it we do the things for our uh, our spouse because we love them we don't go well you're my husband now <laughs> Interestingly enough, side note, how many of you ever heard a honeydew list? Okay, why is it that ladies can give their husband a honeydew list, but Lord forbid if a man gives the wife a honeydew list? Any of you men ever get gutsy enough to give your wife a honeydew list? Ruth? 
Bruce gives you a honey dough. I, mean, I knew I loved him for some reason. Okay. Here, yeah, yeah. Here's a list of things I want you to do, babe. <laughs> Fry pan. Whoa, that was close. Okay. Jesus said, if you're going to be one of my own, you ought to do it because you love me and want to. You ought not to just be checking off boxes saying, oh, yep, got to do that. Yep, got to do that. Yep, got to do that. Now I can watch football. Okay? No, we do the things we do because we love him. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. Now we get into this next section, the miracles of the king. And we talked about this. Keep going. The miracles are recorded in all four Gospels. However, they are recorded from all different perspectives. Not one of the Gospels lists all of them. Some of the Gospels list them multiply. Multiply? I'm making up words here. Okay? There are the same ones listed in several Gospels. Okay? But none of the 37 different miracles are listed in all of them. Why? Because each of the Gospel writers saw fit to use certain miracles to impress the point that they were trying to make. Okay? Matthew does the same thing. All right? John specifically takes seven of them. Because he's trying to present Jesus as the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Matthew lists ten of them because he's trying to say to the Jews, your king has come. Okay, important that we understand all these things. There are 37 different ones, but God uses them specifically. All right, um, let's keep going. 37 different miracles. We talked about that. It's different, uh, the counting of it. We're going to read in today's passage and next week's passage, that in between these miracles, Jesus healed a bunch of other people. Okay, so Jesus was healing tons of people, but the specific miracles are only listed for certain reasons, and we'll look at that, okay? Matthew chooses the ones that the Jews were about, uh, about the arrival of the Messiah. Okay, so that's where Matthew's focus is. Matthew doesn't deal with water to wine at the marriage of Canaan. Matthew doesn't deal with several other ones because those ones aren't necessarily as important to Matthew's point to the Jewish scholars and the Jewish people to say this is the one that was promised. All right, that's all review. Because we had to see that before we can step back into what we're talking about. So, the example of these miracles, Jesus call, is called Lord for the first time in the book of Matthew. Okay, in the New Testament, the first time you find the word Lord associated with Jesus himself, it's during these miracles. So if you start reading the New Testament, the, only time, the first time you're going to find the word Lord, so you're with me in chapter 8, look at verse 2. Behold, there came a leopard worshiping him, saying, Lord, there it is. If we look at today's passage that we'll be reading in a minute, the centurion says, Lord. If we keep going down in the, in the miracles, he is addressed as Lord. Lord, this is the first time when you begin reading the New Testament that Jesus himself is addressed as Lord. That's very important. And Dan and I were talking about that last week as where God uses specific truths to remind us. Well, Matthew says he's take, gone through all these chapters already and Jesus hasn't been addressed as Lord yet until it comes to these miracles and these men are approaching him saying, Lord, Master, you recognition of his authority and his position. All right, just an interesting point. So we looked at the healing of the leper last week. We talked about how the amazing picture of that, that Jesus references the Old Testament about the healing lepers, and that would be a picture of Messiah. 
Today we're going to look at the centurion and this amazing story that happens. Okay? The healing of the centurion's servant. Look at verses 5. I think we'll just go through 11 today. I didn't change that. So we did all that as introduction. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and another, Come, and he cometh. And my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. Let's pray. Father, I pray you uh, be with my words. Father, be with my mind. Lord, it is your word that is the truth. It is your Holy Spirit that is the guide. And Father, we're going to look at this together. But Father, amazing thing to see our Lord Jesus Christ admiring this man because of his faith. Father, thank you for the example here. Lord, help us to understand what we need to so that we can be better, more faithful servants to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus approaches the second miracle and the centurion arrives. So let's go through a couple things here. Sick of the palsy. This is basically paralysis, nerve damage, motor function, just in case you were wondering. Polio, muscular dystrophy, spina bifida, cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, any of those things fit. The reason I'm telling you this is there's a difference between this and the word lame in the Bible. Okay, so you will see that Jesus heals a lame man, okay, and that it says many lame and sick. Then when someone is sick of the palsy, that's different. Okay, when it's addressing a lame person, that means an injury has occurred to them, and that is what has made them lame. Now, if you guys spend any time watching Gunsmoke or, or Bonanza or anything like that, uh, and the reruns are still on, and if you know what's crazy, if you watch them, it's almost the same kind of information we need today. Even though those shows are, shows are old, they deal with a lot of the same subjects we need to hear about. Anyway, there's a commercial for Bonanza if you want. Um, It'll say, my horse took up lame. Okay, it didn't mean it got cerebral palsy or a, a degenerative disease. It means it got hurt and no longer functions. Okay, that's the difference. Just a Bible lesson when you're reading through the scripture and it says a lame man, it generally, or a lame woman, it means they got hurt and they are no longer able to function. Someone who has the palsy has a degenerative disease in their body which causes them grief. All right, that's just info for you all right but that's what's happening here this man is sick of the palsy all right keep going 
Jesus agrees to heal him. Now, I love this. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. Okay, thank the Lord for that. Isn't it amazing that Jesus says, sure, I'm on board. And this fellow says, you don't even have to show up, Lord. All you have to do is say it's going to happen, and I believe it. Now, we're going to put a bow on this a little later. I just want to make sure that we understand what's going on here. The, 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 Jesus could show up at his house. There would be quite the hoopla. Okay? The Lord himself shows up, does this amazing healing, everything. All he's interested in is that Jesus says what he's going to do. I'm going to bring this up, and I don't want to steal my own thunder from a couple of minutes now, but do you and I truly believe that Jesus says what he's going to do? This is a tough question, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff, and we dealt with this uh, earlier. Dan prayed it. He mentioned it in Sunday school. We talk about it. Um, If we would just live by the few simple truths that we know and believe it, our life would be a lot different. So many Christians spend so much time looking for deep thought and prophecies and all kinds of stuff like that, and we don't even take the time to trust that when Jesus says something and we believe it, he's going to do it. Christianity is not that complicated. It's actually pretty simple. If we would just know what he has said and just believe it. And we've talked about this many times, and this is not a problem in our church, but this is the the blazing truth about this centurion is God's word is absolute. And that's where this man comes into it. Lord, I'm not worthy to even have you come into my house. But I know if you say it, it's going to happen. Hallelujah for that. And we'll get back to that. But man, what a great example. So Jesus' message to Israel. Now again, we talked about this last week. In Luke chapter 4, which is earlier than this, the leadership in Israel has already rejected Jesus. Okay, that's where he talks about, you know, a, a man's not welcome in his own town. Okay, that the Pharisees have already said, we don't like this guy. We don't believe in him. We're not going to trust him. You know, Jesus says to the, all the Jews that are standing there listening, I don't find faith like this in any of Israel. Now, understand, Jesus is not pulling any punches. Here's a centurion, for those of us who don't understand that. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's not a Jewish person. And Jesus looks in the face of all the Jews present and says, you see this guy right here? This dog, this alien, this foreigner? He's got better, more faith than anybody in this nation. Jesus is trying to remind them that the rejection that the, the leadership has done with Israel already, he says, you see, this is the kind of faith that represents somebody who believes in me. Now, we talked about this last week, that being in a certain ethnicity doesn't guarantee you rightness with God. The Jews had this opinion, and again, it's still something that's prevalent with the Jews, Please don't misunderstand me. God's got a big plan for the Jews. Read Matthew's, uh, read uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. God still's got a great place for Jews. He's going to use them. He's, he's still going to work with the nation of Israel. 
But just because they're in the nation of Israel doesn't necessarily mean they have great faith in their Lord. Jesus saying, look at this guy, you Jews. Okay, amazing to me, all right? Um, The plan has always been that the Gentiles would be saved through the children of Israel. All through the Old Testament, God talks about the nations of the world, God talks about the Gentiles, and that through the faith that Israel has in Jehovah God, they would lead Gentiles okay, into a faith with God. You with me on that one? I want it to be understood. Same thing, guys, we were just studying Revelation, we were just studying Daniel, we know God is going to be using the children of Israel in the tribulation period, and there are Gentiles that will believe because of 144,000 Jews that are chosen to preach Christ. Okay, God will still be using the children of Israel to reach the Gentiles. But God did something unexpected, and this gives me goosebumps, all right? Keep going. If the Jews had received Jesus as king, he would have established the kingdom right then and there. Now, please understand this. This is a little bit deep, but I like this. You ever, um, where is Jesus right now? He's in at right hand of God, and he is sitting at the right hand of God. Okay, God's word says that many times, okay, that the Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Well, we just talked about this reference that in Sunday school, the first martyr was Stephen, right? And Stephen preaches, you want a whopper of a message? Go read Stephen's message that he preaches to the leadership of Israel. And he says that that this Jesus who you crucified is Messiah. He is the one that was come. And he presents to the leadership there that's standing there with the young Saul, who would be the Apostle Paul, who's heading this whole thing up, saying we're going to kill this guy for his faith in Christ. When he preaches this message to the Jewish leadership, there's one amazing thought right there. He says, would Jesus... uh, what do you call it? Stephen's looking up to heaven and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Because if Israel would have received Jesus Christ, if we, they would have accepted that message that Stephen preached, Jesus would have come back right then and established his kingdom. All the rest of the time, the Bible says the, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. But when Stephen preaches that whopper of a message to the, uh, the, the leadership of Israel, and he's just waiting, come on, guys, look who this is. This is Jesus. He is the Messiah. And they decide to kill him instead. When he's looking up, he says, I see Jesus standing. He's right there. He's, in a moment, he could have come back. But he didn't because they didn't receive him. Okay, They did not. It didn't come until the Apostle Paul that we discovered something really cool. And that is Jesus was going to take a Jew and a Gentile and make them one brand new thing that nobody's ever seen before. And that's what you and I are. We're Christians. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're something brand new. Okay, put off the old man, put on that new man. God talks about that. He made Gentiles and Jews one in Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read this real quick. Now this is really important because I want to make sure that we understand in God's eyes, yeah, there's Jews and Gentiles, but the one right now that he's working with is are you a Christian? Okay, I thank the Lord that I don't have to worry about being a Gentile anymore. I've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I'm something brand new. I'm a Christian. 
chapter 3. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made uh, known unto me the mystery as I wrote in few words, he, um, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my, uh, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, that Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I love this. So Jesus here in Matthew is speaking to the Jews and they're not believing. And he says, look at this Gentile, the amazing faith that this guy has. He's just saying, I haven't found this in any, in any of Israel. Well, you understand, since Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and he provided salvation for us, anyone that believes in Jesus is no longer a Gentile, is no longer a Jew. We're something special, and that's called a Christian, a Christ-like one. What an amazing thought. Okay, keep going. Oh, we went backwards. Okay, uh, all right, go back one. All right, go forward one. Yeah, okay, I wanted to make sure I was on the right page. All right, now understand something. Jesus says many will come from the east and the west. Okay, salvation has never been only for the Jews. Now I'm telling you all this because Matthew's focus is presenting Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but God's plan throughout the entire creation has been that salvation would be for all human beings so jesus said listen they're all going to come from east and west there will be multitudes coming from all kinds of different nations i thank the lord for that because i'm not jewish how about you all right keep going now i told you we sang a song this morning and uh, Dan had introduced it in Sunday school about this idea of being soldiers and how God has used this over and over. You don't have to look up these verses, but God has used centurions throughout the Bible to show us a pretty awesome example. Okay, Why? Because these guys were in authority and they were under authority. And he says that right in this verse. I just wanted to show a couple examples of how God uses centurions throughout the scripture. Okay, in Matthew chapter 8, we're looking at this. The servant is healed. It's also found in the book of Luke. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, at the cross, you know who it is It turns and says, truly this man was the son of God. Not the Jewish leadership. Not any of his disciples. You want to know who mentioned that? The centurion. Okay. Uh, the centurion Cornelius, when God is opening the doors through the now New Testament church, Cornelius and his entire household is saved and baptized. Okay, he's a centurion. Uh, in Acts, Paul is protected. You can go read it if you want. Uh, that they went to take Paul, and the uh, centurion says, wait a second, wait a second. You're a Roman citizen, right? Okay, you guys can't do nothing to him. We've got to take him to Rome. He's a Roman citizen. Uh, Paul is respected. Okay, when Paul is in prison 
and all these different people like Luke and Timothy and Titus and everybody keeps coming to visit Paul. You know who gives permission to have all these brothers in Christ show up? Is a centurion. Okay, a centurion. And uh, again, in, in the last two chapters where Paul is getting ready to be offered up for the Lord, it's a centurion that's there to protect him and minister to him. Now, I say all that to remind us when this gentleman says this phrase I am uh, a man under authority having soldiers under me and I say to this man go and he goeth and come and he cometh and do and he doeth God understands this example and has used it many times Unfortunately, you know what? I haven't lived up to this example. There's been times in my life where God has said, hey, go. And I've made excuses. He says, I want you to do this. And I didn't do it. God purposefully uses centurions over and over and over in the Bible to remind us that we're in an army of the Lord. Stand up for Jesus, soldiers of Christ arise, and keep going. I mean, there are tons of songs that we sing in regards to this. Why? Because the military structure is something that God is purposefully using to remind us. And this guy's great faith is based upon the fact that he understands the authority system. I had the, I'll say fortunate because I learned some examples. I worked as a civilian contractor on Fort Devens among, amongst some of the military. And I learned very quickly the difference between those who understood the authority system and those who do not. And I saw a lot of young men and women who were in it just for what they can get out of it and those who were in it because they understood. And when commands are given, commands are obeyed. That is the basis of God's example here. Jesus said, listen, you in Israel, I've, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. The way this guy is displaying his faith keep going the issue was authority the centurion recognized that jesus had authority and put himself under it he understood what authority was he knew that his position in regards to jesus was jesus is lord now i know there's people who preach lordship salvation i'm not talking about that as much as if, he, if you are a believer, he is now your master. What's the verse we read? What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. What's amazing about this passage 
is this man knew who his authority was. And he wasn't even from the Jewish faith. Now, I could get this. We've known about Jesus for 2,023 years or so, right? Uh, And have an example and have the word of God and everything. This is a Gentile fellow, hasn't grown up in the Jewish faith, doesn't have the Old Testament as a resource to go back in his mind. He just understood who Jesus was. Jesus was the Son of God. And he put himself under that authority immediately. Um, how many of you have understand the entire Bible? I don't. How many are learning it? I hope so. You know what? It doesn't matter that you know it all. It matters who Jesus is in your life. Is he Lord? This fellow didn't have a whole lot of biblical background, but he knew that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was Lord. And he was the final authority to the point where he says, I don't even care if you show up, God. All you have to do is say it, and it's going to happen. That's the great faith here. This is amazing. All right. Jews hadn't come to that point. They didn't recognize or submit to it, especially the leadership. They didn't want to. Keep going. Remember the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, I got to touch base here. I don't want to stir the pot too much, but there's a verse here that we got to cover uh, in regards to this before we move further. I, 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 this is the joy of going verse by verse through the scriptures. You come across verses that sometimes people will hold in incorrect doctrine, all right? And that's verse 12. It says, The children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? understood very clearly in the scripture that this passage is speaking about someone going to eternal punishment okay they're going to hell you with me so far okay the god uses this over and over in the word of god to describe eternal damnation all right the problem here if we don't understand this correctly and this is why i have to take a a step aside and look at this it says the children of the kingdom will be cast into Now, if you're not careful, and people take this the wrong way, they'll say, oh, see, this means a Christian can be be cast into hell and lose their salvation. All right? This is not what this verse says. Okay? There is a big difference. Now, I started out the whole sermon today to remind us, was this book written to the church? No, it was not. Now, are there things as the church, as believers, we can learn from this? Absolutely. And we're learning what great faith this man had. Okay? But this was not the New Testament church. He was speaking to Jews. All right? And it says that very clearly if we look at the rest of verse um, uh, 11. He says, They may come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Who is sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven? Is it Gentiles? No, this is Jews we're talking about, okay? And we made it very clear a few, uh, when we started the study of this book, that there is a difference in the scripture between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. This is where this is very important, so stick with me just for a minute. I know this is sort of extracurricular, but the kingdom of heaven that Matthew speaks of 
is a physical kingdom on this earth in Jerusalem where the throne of David is and Jesus someday will sit on this, literally on this planet. You with me? I want to make sure I say that clearly enough. There is a throne that is in Jerusalem that someday when Jesus returns, we talked about this on Sunday school, that he's not coming back as a servant anymore. He's coming back as the conquering king. Okay? Jesus will literally sit on a throne in a kingdom on this earth. Okay? He is not there right now. However, God is on a throne in a kingdom right now. Yes? That kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom and is not on this earth. There are two differences between these kingdoms. Okay, so when we talk about the kingdom of God, God, the heavenly father, Jehovah, is sitting on the throne in the kingdom, never been off the throne. Okay, but there is a kingdom that will be on this earth that Jesus will sit on a throne someday. That is the kingdom we are talking about. That is the Jewish kingdom that is promised. Okay, all through the Old Testament, it is promised that they will receive an internal, eternal inheritance. Remember, God said to Abraham, your, your seed will be as the stars in the sky and as, as a sand of the sea, and you will be given a promised land. That's not my land. I don't go to Israel in the Middle East to go, oh yeah, this belongs to me. I'm a Christian. It doesn't belong to me. That belongs to the Jews. That's the kingdom that has been promised. So, now here's, the, here's how we tie this together. When Jesus is reading this passage, and he says, you know what? There are many who are going to come from the east and the west and think because they can sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, because they have a heritage of the Jews, that they're guaranteed a spot in that kingdom of heaven here on earth. And Jesus is saying, it's not about because you know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are. You're going to be cast into outer darkness where there be, you know, into hell because it's based upon your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. That's what it's based on. So this verse is not saying that a Christian who's in the kingdom someday could go to hell. Not what this is talking about. This is talking about Matthew saying, the Jews are not accepting Jesus. They're thinking that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because that's their religion, I mean their, their heritage, their ethnicity, that that guarantees them a place in the, the kingdom of God, heaven that's going to be on this earth. And Jesus says, oh no. He said, you'll be cast out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't think just because Abraham is your forefather, that guarantees you a place in God's eternal kingdom. That's what this is talking about. You with me so far? I wanted to make sure I covered this because some people will go to this verse and say, oh, that means members of God's kingdom can go to hell. Not the kingdom of God through Christ as Savior for a Christian. But if a Jew is coming and basing his faith on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus, again, see how this all wraps up? Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and saying, do you see the faith of this centurion? I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel because Israel is basing their faith on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on their ethnicity, and that's not going to cut it. This man comes, recognizes me as Lord, and does exactly what he's supposed to do because he understands authority that's why this passage is difficult to understand because this is not written to a bunch of christians this is written to a bunch of jews who are depending on their hebrewness to enter god's kingdom and jesus says it's not going to cut it all right that i want to make sure we got to that because this verse can be easily twisted by people all right keep going 
to end today. Jesus says, this is great faith. Now, I love this. I, I don't know about you. When the Bible in a, occasionally says that Jesus marvels at something, I think about our Lord and Savior, the eternal Christ, Jesus, who has been around forever. God in heaven, the Son. And he is um, impressed. He is looking at, and he's, what's the word I used? Uh, I say it on the back part. He is admiring somebody's faith. Now, I don't know about you, I just, I'm just telling you, sometimes I can't help it. I wonder if God looks down at me once in a while and admires my faith. He says he looked and he marveled at this man's faith. This is the creator of the universe, God himself, and he's going, wow. Isn't this guy's faith amazing? I would love someday to know that maybe someday I had the faith enough that God said, wow. That's awesome. There's three parts to this guy's face. Number one, we saw it. He just said, all you have to do is speak the word. First part of great faith is basing our everything on what God has said. How many times have we said this, guys? I'll just hold it up for the fun of it. This book is God's authority. It is everything that we need. Nothing left out, nothing added, 100% what God wants us to have. You base your life on this word and you'll be all set. This guy's great faith first came to the fact that God said it, that's all that matters. He said, all you have to do, Lord, is speak the word and that's all set. Guys, uh, so many times, and we've had conversations many times and discipling and sitting down praying and everything. There's a lot of stuff in this world that's a bunch of extra if it's here in the book it's important if it's not don't worry about it god makes promises he always keeps them his word is absolutely 100 percent unquestionably true and that's what this guy's great faith that made jesus go wow he said he believes 100 percent in the word number two you see it there right he's ready to submit to god all you have to do, Jesus, is say yes or no, and I'm okay with that. I know what authority's like. I know if I say do, if I say don't, if I say go, if I say... Because I understand authority, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm willing to be okay with that. You don't even have to come to my house. All you have to do is just say the word. Talk about faith. Do you and I have faith like that in God's word? Again, I ask. The only reason I ask is because sometimes I've doubted that. I've read God's word and said, I know, Lord, your word says this, but what's going on? Trust him. And Barb, thank you for that testimony earlier. Sometimes God just says no. Sometimes we need to be ready for that. So, number one, he believed the word. Number two, he's willing to submit to God. Number three, thou hast believed. So faith is not just saying blindly going, ah, whatever, it's just I have faith. No, it's based, number one, on God's word. Number two, on submitting to God's authority. Then you believe it. 
I believe that God's word is 100% true. So why am I going to heaven as a Christian? Because God said it. And God doesn't break a promise. Well, you're the pastor. You should be going to heaven. Hogwash. It's not about who I am. It's because Jesus made promises that he always keeps. So I believe his word. I'm submitting to it. And because of that, I can wholly trust on it and say, I don't have to worry because I believe it, right? We just trust in God. That all faith. That is how this great faith plays out. Okay? The word followed and believed. That's what faith is about. Okay? I just love this. Is Jesus admiring our faith? I don't know how that plays out. I honestly don't. But you know, there's times when we've said this word out loud to one another that someday we just uh, ushered our brother Doc Ridge off to heaven. He graduated. And while we were sitting there in his house, we just looked at one another and said, maybe he's hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I wonder if someday we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to go, man, I really admired your faith. There was a time in your life where things were so tricky. And I want you to know, I marveled. That gives me goosebumps to understand that my Lord can look, look at me and say, you trusted what my word said, you submitted yourself, and you just believed everything was going to come out the way I said it would. And God said, I have not seen faith like that in all of Israel. How awesome is it that you and I have the opportunity to have that kind of faith in our Lord? But it's all based on, number one, his word. Um, let's pray. Father, uh, this passage where the centurion says, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. How true is that, Father? None of us are worthy. Lord, we are all fallen so short. But Lord, being the God of mercy and love that you are, you promised us through your holy word eternal life. Besides that, Lord, you allowed us to be a part of your plan here on this earth to reach people for the Lord. Father, this centurion shows amazing faith. The faith that made you yourself marvel. And Father, first and foremost, it was based on believing what your word has said. Number two is being willing to submit and do. Number three, Lord, just trusting that whatever you have said is going to happen. And so, Father, what a privilege we have. We certainly don't deserve it. But you're such an amazing God. And you reach out in love to every single person in this life. You want them to be in a relationship with you. You want them to be someday home in eternity with you. And so, Father, you've made a way that every single person who certainly is not worthy but Father, we can have a great faith 
And so, Lord, we're going to head out the door here in a minute. And Lord, there's a bunch of people that live around us who need to see Christians that have a great faith. Not that we're superior, not that we're awesome. Lord, we are certainly unworthy. But Lord, we can know the one who solves all our problems. We could submit to the one who can keep his promises. We can trust 100% in his word. Father, thank you so much. Help us to live our faith out because people are watching. We are witnesses. Lord, again, I cannot imagine what it must be like to understand that our Lord would be impressed with our faith. Someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, what an amazing opportunity that's going to be. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.